remade retail media unmade is this wednesday october the 11th remade is your opportunity to connect with australia's retail media community go to remade.net.au to grab your ticket today start the week with unmade setting the agenda for the week in media and marketing Today, Seven claims the year. The news industry asks for a bigger slice. And the Market Herald rebrands. Unmade. It's Monday the 9th of October. I'm Tim Burrows. Abe's on holiday, so good morning, Stage Al Zaidi. Good morning, Tim. How was your weekend? My weekend was very good. It was uh, nice to be back in Tasmania after a quick dash into Sydney, although I have a future trip into Sydney this week coming as well. How was yours? And we should also briefly get in an apology for any drilling that happens while we're recording as well. (laughs) I I lay no claim to that awful noise in the background. Um, It's my fault for living on the top floor. But aside from that, I had a fabulous weekend. Spent the afternoon yesterday with a few girlfriends at Balmoral and it was just glorious. It was like quintessential Sydney afternoon. And then later that afternoon, I had head, neck and ear reflexology. And I feel like a new person. Well, there we go. Well, hopefully the uh, the tensions of having to put up with drilling in your apartment building doesn't uh, recreate the stress too far. <laughs> Where shall we start this week? Well, let's start with Seven. They've claimed the crown in the year's TV ratings. We've seen that in The Australian this morning. Tim, is it normal for networks to declare their triumph like this when the year isn't even over yet? Yes, it is. There are so many different ways of working this out, but where we seem to have landed as an industry is people tend to count the number of weekly wins and then of course you reach a point where you're 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 unbeatable. So we've seen seven hit that point. They, yeah, they, they, they've made the claim, as you say, the headline in the Australian this morning, Seven Network claims the rating crown in 2023, despite eight weeks remaining in the ratings year. There's always different versions of spin and different versions of the, the interpretation of these numbers, because of course, there are demographics involved. There's metro versus regional versus national numbers. There's now total TV, which includes streaming as well. But yeah, what we're seeing is, um, seven trying to make the point. They, they certainly win in the mornings with sunrise and the morning show. Um, they do similarly nationally with seven news as well. They make the argument AFL beats NRL, certainly for total audience numbers. And um, they make the argument that, um, and this is a, a harder one to measure because it stretches over a long time, but they claim that their summer sport of cricket beats uh, Nine's summer sport of tennis. Would we have seen the same victorious tone if Seven hadn't had the rights to the FIFA World Women's World Cup, do you think? Look, I I think they probably would have got there anyway even without the Women's World Cup. Now, of course, what we have seen is it wasn't a huge moneymaker for Seven in the way that maybe people anticipated because of the the massive numbers. And when we look at those top five programs of the year, Seven had all, all five of them and four of them did come out of the uh, out of the performance of the Matildas. So it certainly probably let them claim it a little bit earlier. We might have gone slightly closer to the wire, but... In the end, it was, I guess, as it always is, it was AFL that got seven over the line. What do you think nine is going to be boasting about then? 
Yeah, for a long time, Nine has emphasised their reach in the demographics that matter to advertisers. So that key one being 25 to 54. So I think what we'll most likely see, and we've seen for the last few years, is yes, seven will win on the overall number, and then we'll see nine claim the win on 25-54, which is the one that nine always insists is the one that they care about. So I think they'll be emphasising that. Nine will also be emphasising their metro number because they they tend to run seven a lot closer in metro than they do with the national number. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see both of them making claims that in the metric that matters to them, they'll be able to claim a win. Next, do the news publishers deserve more ad dollars? Unmade. There's a new report from Think News Brands today. They're making the case that Total News Publishing deserves a much bigger slice of the advertising pie. What do you think about that, Tim? Hey, look, the the caveat comes, of course, that um, a lot of these reports, particularly the ones that come from industry bodies like Think News Brands, of course, there's a reason they've commissioned those reports in the first place. You know, they 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 have a case they're trying to make, and it was a really it was a really big day for industry reports. Actually, I'm just looking in my inbox as we speak, and um and and I've actually had a number of reports come in this morning. There was a there was one that dropped just before we started recording from from Boomtown talking about how well the people in the regions still seem to be doing. The headline is Boomtown chooses memories over mortgages. We also had um, new research from News Corp as well, particularly looking at how consumers are prioritizing in their health and well-being. So these are all in the space of, oh gosh, half an hour or an hour or so. I guess that's the other thing. Monday seems to be the day for reports. But yeah, going into this report from uh, Think News Brands. So this is this is funded by the, the news publishers. So we're talking about primarily News Corp, Nine and Seven West Media, who publish obviously the West Australian out in WA. Now, their key methodology is about um, 2,000 consumers. So they, they ask to keep consumption diaries. And they're trying to get an understanding of not not just what different media people consume, but how they consume it and what their state of mind is. So let's let's look at a few of the things. The one that really caught my eye, actually, was right at the end of the report, which is not so much um, where the data comes to consumers, but then the conclusions that um, Think News Brands tries to tries to draw, of which um, the main one is that they're arguing for a far bigger slice, as you say. Um, so based on their numbers, the news publishers reckon they're getting just one and a half percent of the advertising spend. Now they argue they should be getting 7.4%. That seems like a big ask, mm. but you know, you can't, you, you, you can't knock them for asking. They, uh, they claim that, um, out of home gets 15% share, which I'm surprised if that's, if that's really true, the argument that 
out of home gets effectively 10, 10 times as much as, as news media brands, one and a half percent, then, you know, that's a big chunk. But the argument that out of home only des- deserves 2.8% is their argument. And then, <laughs> um, and then the, similarly, they're saying that social platforms get uh, 9.1% and they only deserve 2.3%. And radio, they say, gets 6.1% and only deserves 1.7%. So they're, they're arguing for a big change in the, uh, in the media mix, you know, and I guess that's their job to argue for it. Yeah, that's a rather drastic change in the mix. But I want to know, on what basis was this 7.4% number that should be invested in publishing calculated? Yeah, that's a very good question because, of course, you know, what one always tries to do with this is, with creating this sort of survey, is, is to create some sort of science to it. So I guess the science is coming from their claiming not only they have a sort of greater audience reach. Now, this is news media audience about across both print and also digital but they're also trying to claim that they they're also more attentive as well they're they're paying more attention um you know so therefore it'd be a better advertising environment but of course in the end it's just an argument being put forward rather than something that they're able to put real science behind mm. On that note then, Tim, the report also says that news publishing commands the greatest amount of attention from readers just under magazines. Does that seem plausible to you? Do you know, some of this does, yeah, because I, I, I do have the sense that obviously, you know, magazines is a much more niche medium these days, but the idea that people will be much more engaged in that content when they are reading a magazine does make sense. You know, if it's a luxury buy and this is your little treat or whatever, then you, you'd understand why you would be deeply engaged. And similarly, hey, you know, if I think about my own personal routine, first thing I will do uh, as I eat my breakfast and drink my coffee is read the facsimile edition of the Australian Financial Review. And I will be pretty heavily engaged in that. Um, or similarly, you know, I suppose if a hey look magazine example, you know, I read the digital edition of um, The Economist, and when I do that on a flight, for instance, I will read it from start to finish, page by page, and um, I'll be pretty engaged in a way I absolutely would not be if I was looking at Instagram Reels or something like that. So, so yeah, I reckon it is plausible. Next, the Market Herald is about to rebrand. Um. Made. The very embattled Market Herald is set to hold its AGM next month, and one change they seek to make is dropping the Herald from its name. Now, that's in the AFR this morning. Is that really the most pressing matter facing the company right now, Tim? Yeah, you're right, Sergio. Their, their priority shouldn't be so much dropping the word Herald from the Market Herald. They should probably start with dropping the word embattled from embattled Market Herald because <laughs> that seems to be the, 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 the bigger problem at the moment. It's, it's been a, such a complete catastrophe for the best part of a, a year. So to, to recap, the Market Herald, um, Based in, in, in WA, it's got it root, its roots or some of its roots in hot copper, the kind of internet discussion forum about, um, small stocks on the ASX, you know, an investment forum, I suppose. But it did a big fundraising about a year or so ago now to buy, 
uh, Cars Guide, Auto Trader, and probably most significantly Gumtree. Now that seemed to set it on the course for creating a much bigger publishing empire. Um, but behind the scenes, there were all sorts of boardroom battles going on, um, really for ownership of the publication. Um, so we saw Jack Sanger, who had been the managing director, the person who'd masterminded a lot of um, the strategy behind building up the Market Herald as its own sort of publication, but also the Gumtree acquisition. He was ousted after falling out with uh, the largest shareholders who themselves fell foul of the regulators um, when questions were asked about how they'd been growing their stakes in the company in a in a way that wasn't entirely le- legitimate. So all of that going on behind the scenes. And um, as the Financial Review reports them this morning, the latest little move is that um, we're going to see the shareholders asked to vote at the AGM on, on rebranding from the Market Herald to just the Market Limited. So that... Um, mm, doesn't have the same ring to it. Look, it doesn't. Um, it's a puzzle. I mean, obviously at the AGM, I'm sure they'll explain their logic, but... At the moment, you know, just when you've begun to build a brand, unless there's a really compelling logic we've not heard, it's really hard to understand why you would so rapidly change direction. And, and unless it's just that affliction that you always seem to have with new managements that they they always want to change the strategy on what the old management was doing. Mm. Well, aside from the rebrand, what else do you anticipate might unfold at next month's age? Yeah, look, that's always a hard one to tell because, of course, you know, that, that then depends on the willingness of, um, shareholders to turn up at the AGM and ask, for instance, the awkward question. And shares in the market held are quite tightly held. Um, I think the big question will be about the, the, the behavior of the primary shareholders, the Argyles. There were some pretty embarrassing things said about, um, the management by the takeovers panel. So, the f- most fascinating thing will be if some of the smaller shareholders actually stand up and ask a tricky question or two. Next, the end of an era at the AFR. Unmade. One of the country's most storied journalists, Joe Aston, made a pretty shocking announcement on Friday. He's going to be leaving the Financial Review after 12 years of exposing and exoriating Australia's political and business elite. Tim, you're rather acquainted with Joe. What do you think might have been behind his move? Do you know, the weird thing is, although I've written about Joe Aston a lot over the years, and he was even nice enough to write a nice blurb about my book, we've never met. I just think he's a really great writer, really agenda-setting writer, and a brave writer, um, as we wrote about in Best of the Week on Saturday. Just being willing to kind of be unpopular the whole time, which is what you have to be when you're that sort of diarist. You know, you have to say rude things about important people. It takes its toll after a while. So I suspect that's at least a part of it. We did see some speculation over the weekend, uh, in the, in the, in, in the Telegraph and at Sharp kind of asking questions about the speed of the exit. So a bit of a lap of honor this week. Um, from Joe. Nice to see in this morning's paper he's gone back after uh, his old foe of uh, Qantas one more time. But yeah, look, I think 
I think for a lot of people, it's there's going to be a real change in their daily ritual. Like, you know, hope, hopefully Joe's successors and a number of people, you know, do write that column, including Miriam Robin, most recently, Mark Stefano has been contributing as well. We've seen others as well. So, you know, hopefully the kind of the tone and the feel of the publication or of the column will continue. But also, hey, look, this is a little side issue, but something which always speaks to me about reading that column says something about that transition from newspapers as they were to where newspapers as they are. I, I mentioned earlier in the conversation, I start my day reading the facsimile edition, which means I download it onto my iPad. I have to read the front page of the paper on the iPad and I have to scroll all the way to the back page, page 32 or page 40, whatever it is, to read the first half of the column before then scrolling backwards to page 36 to read the second half of the column, which is one of those bizarre kind of heritage things of newspapers that um, I suspect won't last very much longer. Right. Now, a lot of people say that they only subscribe to the financial review because of Joe Aston's columns. So do you think they might struggle a little bit, you know, seeing some subscription losses? I think the really important thing about that sort of columnist, and it's the same for News Corp has got its own key columnists who drive subscriptions is, and people have a lot of data, you know, they can see which particular columnist was the one that uh, drove people to subscribe, you know, put in their details, put in their credit card in the end. So, so absolutely. When, when there's as much habit built as that, absolutely. That sort of transition is really important. So I think it would be a bit simplistic to say, okay, that's the end for the AFR or anything like that. But at the same time, yeah, definitely a huge asset and a real reason for some people to subscribe. What do you think have been his most consequential columns or investigations? I think I'd probably point to two. There was the preposterous Alex Malley, the um, boss of CPA, the Chartered Accountants Body, who was just spending the, the, the this organisation's money on making himself famous through, you know, what was kind of labelled content marketing at the time. And it was a real kind of case of the emperor's new clothes once um, Joe Aston pointed it out. And then it gradually began to emerge that not only was he spending that organization's money on making himself famous, he was being paid an unjustifiably large amount for it as well. So that, that, that directly led to his fall. And then more recently, it was really once um, Joe Aston started asking the hard questions, but backed up with the data about Alan Joyce's record, that the questions really began to be asked about the final payments uh, of bonuses to Alan Joyce, but also his overall performance, you know, arguably a combination of underinvestment in fleet renewal, um, arguably gouging on prices, um, the ACCC investigation into charging for flights that had already been cancelled. Um, so an awful lot all sort of going on at once, which really kind of then, you know, did, did lead to Alan Joyce going earlier than he wanted to. That's right. And I'll also add the behaviour of Rio Tinto in You Can, George. Uh, it's a critical one. That was another excellent example. 
Well, that is all that we have time for today. We would love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And don't forget that our Remade conference is this Wednesday. It's your chance to get your head into retail media. Go to remade.net.au to get your ticket. If you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. And I'm going to be back tomorrow with Choose Data, looking at the favourite media and marketing books of senior in industry executives. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.